Welcome to the Successful Farming Weeds Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, David Ekstrom. Rag weeds continue to be a concern for farmers. Christy Sprague, lead extension specialist and professor at Michigan State University, sat down with Successful Farming editor Chelsea Dinterman to discuss how farmers can develop a plan to prevent rag weeds from leading to yield loss. Before we get into the podcast, we'd like to thank our sponsor, FMC. Start clean and stay clean with overlapping residual herbicides from FMC. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. And now, back to the podcast. So, Christy, we're here today to talk about ragweeds. So we'll start off with a pretty simple question. Why are ragweeds so concerning to farmers? So with ragweeds, one of the big concerning things is a lot of times they are pretty prevalent across many of our fields. I'm in Michigan, and we do see a lot of common ragweed in Michigan. And we also see uh, quite a bit of giant ragweed, particularly in the southern uh, few tiers of counties. But as you look across the Midwest, both common and giant ragweed are pretty prevalent. And um, what is the yield loss potential for a farmer that's not managing his ragweeds well? Yeah, so giant ragweed would be a little bit more competitive than common ragweed. And uh, there's been research done in the past and kind of a good rule of thumb would be, um, you know, one giant ragweed plant in a 10 square foot area could actually reduce soybean yields um, up to 52%. And with common ragweed, if we had you know, two of those common ragweed plants in that same area, we could reduce, see a yield loss of about 30% of so in soybeans. And is there any type of farmer or management program like no-till or conventional tillage that should be more worried about ragweeds than others? Or is it kind of a problem across the board? It's usually a problem across the board. Um, we would say that in general, uh, with no-till conditions, um, if you were able to keep, especially like giant ragweed, because it is can come up from so um, deep in the soil. Um, a lot of times if we could just kind of manage that in a no-till system and get rid of it, never have any seed input, we probably would reduce that population a lot. Um, but in general, we see both common and giant in both, uh, both tillage systems. So kind of speaking about the differences between common and giant ragweed, how can a farmer identify either of the two? And um, does it matter or is management the same for both of them? Um, management is maybe a little bit easier with common ragweed because it just doesn't have as quick as a growth, um, a rapid growth rate as what something like giant ragweed, but they are both kind of similar in ways to control it. Uh, we do see some resistance issues with both common and giant ragweed, but as we start looking at the plants, they do look quite a bit different. Um, when we look at common ragweed, uh, we, what we would say is kind of more of a pinnate leaf, really skinny um, off the main leaves. There'd be just like little skinny uh, parts of that leaf. So they call that pinnate and it's kind of very deeply lobed. With giant ragweed, we're looking at um, leaves that are maybe close to the size of your hand and usually have three to five larger lobes. Um, giant ragweed can be, you know, anywhere up to 10 to 12 feet tall. Common ragweed in general in, in fields, um, let's say you're in a soybean field, they'll probably go just slightly above that soybean canopy. Um, usually 
probably maximum height six foot, but usually a lot of times it's more closer to something like a four foot. Um, they usually don't just keep growing. Uh, with giant ragweed, you can see them get pretty tall, particularly they'll, they'll even be above a corn canopy. Gotcha. And so can you talk a little bit about where in the U.S. ragweeds are a problem and kind of what the life cycle of those weeds look like for farmers that are trying to identify them? Yeah, so uh, both ragweed species are annual weeds. So basically they'd start out at a seed in the, um, in the spring of the year, uh, germinate and emerge. Um, the emergence patterns can make management a little tricky. Um, we've really seen over probably the last 25, 30 years, kind of a shift in emergence, particularly of giant ragweed. Um, with giant ragweed, a lot of times it used to come up early, like the kind of, um, particularly in like, you know, places like Illinois, Indiana, may come up the last week of March, early April, and not have a lot of ragweed come up after that. But in the last 30 years or so, we've seen that where that emergence pattern has shifted. So it continues to come up throughout the season and sometimes even into July. So that does make it a little bit more difficult from a management strategy. With common ragweed, we do see emergence, but uh, that can be, um, you know, it'll come up early, but not as quite as early as giant ragweed. And a lot of times we might see that common ragweed emergence stop a little bit before some of the giant ragweed. So. And while farmers are out scouting, are there any lookalikes to ragweed or is it pretty obvious that's what you have if you're noticing them? Yeah, with with the ragweed species, once you've seen them, you know what they are. Um, there's not a lot of lookalikes. Um, there might be, um, you know, uh, <laughs> one thing we had some giant ragweed uh, plots one time and somebody drove by and they're like, oh, they're growing hemp. So some people think just because it's big, but in general, um, there's not really too many lookalikes. So if a farmer is noticing ragweeds in his field, what management techniques should they be utilizing? Yeah, I would say that probably most farmers um, have been managing either common or giant in their fields because that's just, they're pretty prevalent. Um, but one of the things we always say is it's always helpful to have a good soil applied pre-emergence herbicide down. Um, while not many of them are extremely um, effective to make it the only thing that you would do, it does help reduce those populations. And then what we really want to do is make sure we have a good post-emergence option. Um, when we look at uh, corn and soybeans, um, we do have some better options now in soybeans, now that we have a lot of the newer soybean traits like the Enlist D3 or the ExtendFlex soybeans, uh, Liberty Link. Um, so that gives us a few more options, particularly when we're dealing with glyphosate resistance in some of those populations. In common ragweed, uh, glyphosate resistance isn't super widespread. There's some localized areas in some different uh, states. Giant ragweed, um, we're starting to see more glyphosate resistance showing up. Um, in particular, if you look at Ohio, there's a lot of glyphosate resistant giant ragweed. And I think we do also see that in uh, Indiana and some parts of Illinois. And I know we do have some in the Southern part of the state of Michigan. So again, those newer traits help give us some more options post-emergence. In corn, we do have quite a few more options, both pre and post. So um, again, just looking at a good two-pass strategy is always gonna be helpful, especially since we see that extended emergence of um, giant ragweed. Gotcha. And if a farner, farmer notices they have a particular problem with ragweeds one year, is there anything they should be thinking about when they're planning the year following to kind of keep those populations at bay? 
Sure. I think one of the key things is, especially if you think there was an escape due to a herbicide resistance issue, I think it would be a good idea to go ahead and get that population tested. So, you know, hey, I've got maybe glyphosate resistant ragweed or I have ALS resistant ragweed because that's very common. Um, if that's the case, um, then it's really important to be looking at what do you have for the next year? What are you planning if you're going to be going into soybeans or corn? What are some of our best uh, strategies? And most states have a weed control guide. And we do give some good recommendations on, hey, we can get some fairly good control with these pre-herbicides and then um, to follow up with a good effective post. And we do kind of rank those um, by how effective they are in many of our weed control guides. I think one of the things, you know, um, if you look at most states, ragweeds are on the noxious weed list. And the main reason for that is because of the pollen and the allergens that, um, you know, a lot of people are very allergic and they can cause, cause some problems there. So like, especially, especially in uh, municipal areas, that's one of the things that always comes up, but um, yeah, it's always really important to try to get both uh, common and giant ragweed under control. And a lot of times when we see giant ragweed um, and it's maybe not into a field yet, a lot of times we might see that in a ditch bank and it's, pretty important to keep an eye on that to make sure it's not moving into a field. So those those populations that are in ditches um, over time can move into fields. So um, it might be worth trying to manage um, some of those fence rows and ditches uh, where giant ragweed is. So looking at kind of the future of ragweeds, I think that's one of those, these both common and giant are going to be species that are going to be with us for a long time. Um, they have been with us for a long time. I think we we'll probably continue to see kind of uh, a northern expansion of giant ragweed. I know, uh, like I said, in our state, um, the the bottom two tiers is probably where we have, of counties is where we have the most, but I think we're starting to see it move a little further north. And about uh, a little over 20 years ago when I was in Illinois, we started seeing kind of an expansion of that, of those giant ragweed plants. So um, I think it's going to be one of those ones that growers are going to have to deal with both of them um, for a long time. So it's just important to keep an eye on them and just kind of keep an eye out to see if uh, we see any more development of more um, herbicide resistance issues. And is there anything farmers can do to kind of extend the life of the chemicals that we have available as we face these resistance issues? Sure. One of the, the key things to do is just to make sure that we're not using the same herbicide over and over again or the same herbicide site of action. So we always talk about using multiple herbicide sites of action. There are also some things that can be helpful, like we do some um, cultural practices that can be helpful. Um, in soybeans planting in narrow rows, if we can kind of get that canopy closure earlier, a lot of times that might help um, slow down the emergence of um, some of the later emergence of some of these different species. Um, you know, people have been messing around with cover crops that also can help, especially um, maybe cereal rye helping suppress some of the early season um, uh, emergence. So there's a lot of kind of our cultural practices that we can do that would be helpful. But I think the biggest thing is to make sure that we're we're switching up our management strategies and not using the same thing over and over again. Thank you to our guest today, Christy Sprague. 
This Weeds Playbook podcast has been brought to you by FMC. Start clean and stay clean with overlapping residual herbicides from FMC. For more about this topic, visit canr.msu.edu slash weeds. For more news and agricultural information, go to agriculture.com.